that footage uh, that we just watched was all shot on a single day in Toronto, August 24th. 2011. I don't know if you remember this incredible electrical storm that we had five years ago in Toronto, one that we could certainly use some more of to this, this year, but um, this was one of the most amazing storms that I've ever lived through in my entire life. You, if you recall, you remember uh, Environment Canada issuing uh, tornado warnings all the way basically from Waterloo to Ottawa, all the way around the Golden, Golden Horseshoe, and there were reports all night long of funnel clouds that were touching down all through that region. It was actually a category, I don't know how they actually, what do you call it, but like a category one tornado in Cambridge that touched down uh, in Cambridge that night. Um, the, the, the storm lasted uh, five hours. It rolled in at 7 p.m. It lasted till about midnight, and there was torrential rain and hail and but the most significant thing about the thunderstorm, in my recollection, was, was the lightning. The Environment Canada estimated that for the entire duration of the storm, there were 500 lightning strikes per minute during the storm. It was absolutely incredible and quite traumatic for our uh, little kids. At the time, our kids were 5, 4, 3, and 1, and they were very, very upset by the storm. It was, uh, it was just chaos in our home because of the amount of electrical activity and the peals of thunder, whatever. And so I remember that night, what we decided to do is we took all the girls and we took them down into the basement to sleep. We only have one room in our house that doesn't have a window. And that's the playroom in the basement. So we closed all the doors so they couldn't see the lightning. It kind of muffled the thunder. We put on a white noise generator and Chris and I slept in the guest room right next door so we were available uh, to them to try and tamp down the fear and anxiety that was welling in the girls. This actually was the video that I showed you. It was the video we showed them the next morning to say, hey, this, this was the storm that happened uh, last night. But um, it was that night, that storm lives on in infamy in our family because I think it was that night, that storm that cemented a living terror of thunderstorms in my second oldest daughter, Kennedy, and she said that I could share about this with you. But um, Kennedy is terrified. of I don't remember it from before that. I remember her being afraid of loud noises, but not thunderstorms. But she now, since this experience, um, she has this kind of internal meteorological radar where she can be fast asleep and hear a peal of thunder hundreds of miles away before anybody else has even woken up. And she, when she hears that first rumble, she's out of bed, shrieking, screaming in a panic, sheer hysterics, runs down the hall into the room, jumps into our bed, sobbing, shaking like a rabbit. It's a truly, truly, uh, I mean, it just breaks your heart to see this girl living in such fear. Lately, she's been trying really, really hard to manage her reaction to the, to the terror, but it's just sheer abject terror that she lives with in terms of thunderstorms. She now asks us, because she now gets a little bit how weather works, you know, whenever it's hot and humid outside, she'll ask us whether there's going to be a thunderstorm tonight. Now think about the summer we've had. Every single day that it's hot and humid, she asks, is there going to be a thunderstorm? And so we lie to her and say, no, there's, no, you know, there's nothing. But she, then she clued in and wanted to, started asking to see the Weather Network website so she could read it for herself and see what was there. She's just, she, she has this, she's just terrified 
of thunderstorms. And, and at one level, I'm kind of, uh, like, I, I, can, I confess, I get frustrated with it because being woken up like that at 3 o'clock in the morning isn't the most fun ever. And there's a part of me that wants to say to her, like, look, you're not going to get hurt. You're inside. You're safe. You're fine. Get over it. And yet, just to see the fear in her eyes, my heart breaks for her. Not just because I can see how afraid she is, but if I'm honest, because I know how afraid I can be of things, right? Fear is not unique to my daughter. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you all won't like me. I'm afraid that, that when I open the scriptures and teach, that I'm going to teach something that's going to push somebody further away from Christ rather than, rather than drawing them closer to Jesus I'm afraid sometimes when I think about the number of lives that um, I get to have an influence over both here in this community and at home among my kids. I'm, I'm afraid uh, that I can influence lives for the worse and not for the better. And, and you get it too because you're afraid of your own things. I don't know what they are. Afraid of failure, afraid of being alone, afraid of... Uh, your financial situation, whatever it is. And we want to talk about fear this morning because this whole month in this series, Life to the Full, we've been looking at Jesus' promise that he wants to give us life until it overflows. Life to the full, like a full, satisfying, joy-filled life. And so we've been spending all month looking at the things that can steal that joy. And, and I think fear is one of those things that robs us of our experience of joy. So we want to spend some time thinking about what the scriptures say about the place of fear in the life of somebody who wants to follow Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear this morning about what we're not talking about. Because there's a difference between fear and like anxiety at the level of disorder. And we're not talking about anxiety disorders this morning. You know, there's several, right? Generalized anxiety disorder, you just afraid of many things pretty well all the time, and it's gone on for more than six months. That's a, that's a clinical condition called generalized anxiety disorder. Or um, people have social phobias, right? They're so afraid of being criticized or embarrassed or humiliated that they actually bunker themselves and they avoid social interaction. Or just regular phobias, right? You're afraid of spiders or you're afraid of thunderstorms. This morning's not going to help you stop being afraid of spiders. Um, things like OCD, where you have fears that drive certain behaviors and rituals to try and overcome, create a sense of control in your life, or, or post-traumatic stress disorder, or panic disorder, which is like anxiety in extremis uh, with physical symptoms and so on. These aren't the things that we're, we're talking about this morning. I, I mean, I hope that some of the things we talk about can feed into, if, if you're grappling with that anxiety at that level, that some of the things can be feed into that. But, but those are more complicated um, situation. They, they have complex causes that at times can be chemical, like chemical imbalances in the brain or hormonal imbalances or, or drug use can create some of that or, or environmental. You can inherit some of that from your family, from uh, a life situation, from just dealing with stress. And, and those sorts of, um, that kind of anxiety needs to be dealt with on that level through things like medication and to deal with the chemical side and therapy to deal with the circumstantial side and so on. But um, and yet, I mean, I hope there's a spiritual component to that too. And I hope that what we talk about this morning can be a part of that. But I hope you're getting, you're being really intentional about 
dealing with that medically and professionally if you need to. But what we are talking about this morning is the kind of fear that we all live with. Right? Some of us live with some fear all the time. All of us live with some fear some of the time. Um, because fear is a part of the human condition. And I guess the first thing that I'd want to say about the place of fear in a life of faith is that fear is a part of the human condition. I'm afraid that there's a, there's a segment of the church that seems to want to say that somebody who doesn't, someone who feels fear is failing as a Christian. Um, I read a blog post a few years ago at the Gospel Coalition website. It was called Eight Reasons Why My Anxiety is Foolish and Pointless. And the blog post was interesting. There was no commentary. It wasn't a write-up. It was like eight bullet points. God is near to you. God cares about you. God knows what you need and he supplies it. And it's just like, bam, bam, bam. And each one had a Bible verse associated with it. And that was it. That was the whole blog post. And the message was clear. At least the message that I would have absorbed was clear. If you follow Jesus and you struggle with fear, you're an idiot. Like you've just clearly not clued into the fact that God doesn't want you to be afraid and that you're being disobedient and you need to get your act together. And it was the kind of post that actually creates anxiety in the person who struggles with anxiety because they think they're anxiety. They're now anxious about whether or not they're really a Christian. And I think, I think there are parts of the church that want to send that message. And I'll confess to you, as recently as two years ago, I stood on this stage and, and said the phrase, faith and fear cannot coexist in the human heart. And and if that created that kind of impression, you created anxiety, I apologize. Um, because that's not what I mean. I think fear is a part of the human condition. And I think fear is even a part of a life of faith. Um, I would want to nuance that idea of faith and fear in the human heart now by saying that there is some truth to that. I, I, um, you know, in the, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 John, it says that perfect love drives out fear. That if we understood how perfectly we were loved for God, beloved by God and how perfect God's love is, the fear in our life would evaporate. Um, and I think there's some truth to that in a really idealized sense. But, but in that same book, in 1 John, John talks about sin. And I think there's a helpful parallel here. John says, anyone who's born of God does not continue to sin. In other words, if you continue to sin, you're clearly not born of God. Um, I, I recognize why John would say that, but I have a little bit of trouble. I mean, in the ideal sense, that's true. But in that same book, John says, but if anyone does sin, we have Jesus Christ and he deals with it. And so, so there's this idealistic side that said that sin is just not a part of a life of faith. And yet I know sin is a part of a life of faith. And so Jesus deals with that. And I, and I'd want to say the same thing about fear that, no, you know, if we realize how perfectly we were loved by God, fear would melt away. But let's be honest, we're human beings and fear is a part of the human condition. Fear is a part of the Christian condition in as much as fear was a part of Jesus' life. Right, think about Luke chapter 22. It's the night before Jesus dies on the cross and it says this. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed beyond the disciples. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That phrase, being in anguish, the, the Greek word there is agonia, agony. 
And it's actually in the Greek, it means like extreme emotional anguish and anxiety. Jesus was in extreme anxiety to the point where he was sweating drops of blood. It's a medical condition called hematidrosis. And uh, in, the, in the Journal of Medicine in 1996, it says the hematidrosis is caused by extreme or acute fear and extreme stress. So here's Jesus facing the prospect of crucifixion. And he does not want to die on the cross. I mean, it just incites this incredible fear and stress inside of Jesus to the point where he's sweating drops of blood, literally. And so uh, if you are somebody who battles with anxiety in your life, I want you, I want you to do this. I want you to take a deep breath. And let your shoulders drop. And I want you to say, thank God that I share this company with Jesus, that I am in good company as somebody who battles anxiety at times in my life because Jesus did too. And I think it's fair to say if Jesus did, then it's okay for us as, as well, right? It's just a part of what it means to be a human being. But it's more than that. It's not just, okay, so fear is a part of our life because Jesus felt fear because it's part of the human condition. I think fear is a part of the Christian condition because fear is something that God actually wants to use to guide us towards himself. Uh, years ago, I had a friend uh, named Dave, and Dave told me that his dad, John, would fix cars for all of his buddies. And he said they were at home one day, and there's a knock on the door, and John opens the door, and his buddy's standing there. And John says, you know, what can I do for you? And uh, his buddy says, I need you to disconnect one of, the, one of the lights on my dashboard of my car. John said, why is that? He said, well, it's malfunctioning. He said, well, tell me what's going on. He said, well, he said, I was driving along one day, and the light came on. And I ignored it, and it went off. So I thought, oh, okay, so that's all it was. So then I was driving again a little while later, and the light came on, and it stayed on. And so I banged the dash, and then the light went off. And I thought, okay, so that's how you fix it. And then, and then I was driving a few days later, and the light came on, but it stayed on. And now it started flashing, and then sometime after that, it just stayed on. It came on, and it stayed on, and no matter how many times I banged the dash, so I had to put tape over it so I couldn't see it. And now I just think it's broken and I need you to disconnect it. And John said to him, he said, so what, what does the light say? He says, oh, it says oil right on it. And John said, would you mind starting your car for me? He says, oh, yeah, sure. And he turns the key and it's like metal on metal. Right? right? And he says, oh, and there's that noise. I didn't know if they're related. I heard once that emotions like fear are like lights on the dashboard. They come up to alert you to the fact that something's happening under the hood. And it's an invitation to try and figure out what it is that's going on under the hood before that thing becomes really destructive. That's what emotions are, including fear. Fear is an invitation from God to figure out what's going on in our soul so that we can guide our soul into alignment with our life with God. Right? Fear alerts us of things. It alerts us of our of our values, right? If we're afraid that we're going to be alone for the rest of our life, or if we're afraid that we'll never be successful, or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, um, we're discovering that fear is alerting us to things that we value at a deep enough level that we're afraid for our life if we don't get to experience it. And, 
And that gives us the opportunity to bring that thing before God and say, God, I, I care about this a whole lot. Do I care about this too much? Do I care about this more than I care about you? Do I want this more than I want what you want for my life? Can you help me reconcile this? It alerts us to things that we need, right? We're afraid because we need a job. We're afraid because we need money. We're afraid because we need to get into this particular school or whatever. And that fear alerts us to a need that we feel like we have. And it's an invitation to bring that before God and say, God, um, I'm facing a fairly significant crisis right here. And to invite God into the process to learn to lean in independence. Fear alerts us to our own limitations. Um, when we fear failure, it's because we're afraid we don't have what it takes to do or to be the thing that we need to do and be. And that's an opportunity to go to God and say, God, I'm afraid um, that I can't do it. Would you please do in me and through me what it is that you want me to do? And it teaches us dependence to, to seek to be empowered by God, right? That's actually was Jesus' experience. He comes to God in anxiety and he says, I do not want to do this, but would you align my choices with your will rather than my will? Would you give me what I need in order to choose what you want rather than what I want? Jesus used that moment to align his heart, his soul with the, with the vision that God had for his life. It, it's an invitation. More than that, sometimes it can be an invitation to step out in faith. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 14, there's a story about Jesus' disciples and their they're on a boat and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee uh, all by themselves. And they're in the teeth of the storm and they're trying to get to shore on the other side. And it says in Matthew 14, all of a sudden Jesus comes walking along the water towards them. And it says the disciples, thinking he was a ghost, were terrified. Or they all thought they were going to die. Here comes death coming to claim us. And uh, the, the Greek word is terrasso. And it means uh, to be in extreme emotional distress. In English, they, the Bible I have translates it as terrified. And they had a choice of what, how they were going to respond to that fear in the moment. And 11 of the disciples were kind of like frozen. They were paralyzed in fear. But this is what it says about Peter in verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Peter, with the disciples, gripped with this fear, uncertain about the situation. Somebody's once said the only thing anybody's afraid of is losing control. They're in this situation that is completely out of control, completely chaotic. And Peter, rather than being paralyzed by fear, seizes the opportunity to say, okay, God, if you have something for me in the midst of this chaos, I want you to invite me into it and I will walk. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking on the water in faith. And then it says this, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Peter was walking on the water towards Jesus in faith when all of a sudden he kind of gets distracted again by his circumstance. He sees the wind and the waves and he suddenly begins to be afraid of his circumstances again, and he starts to sink. And you see this dynamic at work in Peter that's at work in all of 
these situations of fear in our lives. When we, we, we have a choice in that moment to decide what we think is the, is the most significant truth about our reality. Peter had a choice. Either the wind and the waves and the danger and the storm were the most significant thing about his situation or the presence of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus to walk was the most significant thing in the situation. And so long as Peter leaned into faith, he was able to overcome the fear of his circumstances. But as soon as Peter began to lean into the fear, the faith began to dwindle and he began to sink. This is the invitation of Jesus, right? That there are times where God is, through our circumstances and the fear, God is inviting us to step out of faith. There was a, a blog post on Donald Miller's Storyline blog recently, uh, and it was entitled, If You're Not Scared, You're Not Doing It Right. And the whole point of the blog post is that there is a link between fear in our circumstances and the opportunity to exercise faith, to step out into what God is inviting you into. And, uh, and that, was, that was Peter's experience. God actually, I think, wants to tap into the fear that we struggle with and use it to invite us more into the life that he has for us. So what does that look like? Well, I, I want to close by quickly looking at Psalm 34. There's a story in the Old Testament. David is... Uh, up-and-coming, rising political star in Israel. He's the heir apparent to the throne in Israel. He's about to be king. But there is a king in Israel named Saul who uh, feels the rivalry, hates David's guts, wants to kill him, and David's life is genuinely in danger. And so David flees from Saul. He flees the nation of Israel, passes over into the nation of Philistia, uh, which is where modern-day the Gaza Strip is, uh, and he goes to this city called Gath. And it says in 1 Samuel 21, it says, That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? And David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So David has fled looking for political asylum, but he's recognized immediately. And now he knows his life is in danger, and he's terrified of this king as well. And it says in verse 13, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. While he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And Akish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why did you bring him to me? He goes into this whole ploy that he's crazy, and um, Akish buys it, and he says, this guy's nuts, get him out of my presence. And David's life is spared. Well, sometime later... Somebody takes this whole scenario and poetically imagines David's response, either David or someone else. The heading of Psalm 34 says this, of David, so either of David or about David. When he pretended to be insane before the king who drove him away and he left. And this is what David says in Psalm 34. This is what it means to utilize that fear in our life of faith. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David says, I'm going to praise God forever. And I want everyone else to praise God with me because in the midst of this circumstance that I was terrified of, I cried out to God and he rescued me. And this is the lesson David learns. Verse 8. I think this psalm, by the way, if you struggle with fear, this, should be your, this psalm should be your prayer morning and night this week. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David says, you know what the solution to fear is? The solution to fear is to fear the Lord. He says, you fight fear with fear. You fight the fear of your circumstances with the fear of the Lord. You, uh, to fear the Lord is basically to worship him, to, to delight in him, to put him as the top priority in your life, to, to recognize the life that he's called you to, and to be brave enough to take a step to live according to it, to make God the defining reality of your life. And David says, if you're in a situation like I was, where you're gripped with fear because of your circumstances, he says, fear the Lord. Just align your entire life with what you think God wants you to do, and God will make sure that you have everything you need. He says, even lions sometimes go hungry. They're the king of the jungle even though they live in the savannah, that even lions go hungry sometimes. Even they go without food. But the person who fears the Lord, the person in the midst of those circumstances that have them in the grips of fear, that person who puts all their trust and faith in the Lord, that person will never be disappointed. Now that doesn't mean, and let me be super clear about this, that doesn't mean that God swoops down like some kind of helicopter parent and pulls you out of your circumstance. He didn't for David, right? David, God didn't make King Akish go away or whatever. David actually came up with a plan to deal with the circumstance and the plan ended up being successful. And then when he took a step back, he said, God caused my success. Right? But God didn't like miraculously intervene except you know, in whatever God did to make Akish believe that David was really insane. But he didn't make the situation go away. He, he didn't do it for Jesus either. Jesus was terrified of dying on the cross. And what did Jesus do? He ended up dying on the cross. Like, the thing that Jesus feared the most actually happened. God let it happen. And yet, David is still speaking truth. Why? Because God took care of Jesus. There was a resurrection three days later. What Jesus' what Jesus' reality was is that the thing that he was most afraid of actually happened, and he discovered that there was still life on the other side. In fact, there was more and better and richer, more divine life than he had ever experienced before. That thing that he was afraid of was not the end of life. David said there was nobody who has feared God in the midst of circumstances that are creating fear. There's nobody who's feared God that's been disappointed. In fact, this is his conclusion, verse 11. He says, come my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. David says, listen, Do you want to live a full life? Do you want to live a life that you love? Do you want to live a life where you, you know, a long life where you look back and you see many, many, many good days, where you see more good than bad, more joy than hurt, you know, more celebration than fear? Do you want to live the kind of life where you can look back and rejoice in the ways that God has walked you through everything that you've experienced? A life that you love. I just love that. He says, then this is the deal. Fear the Lord. And he talks about it in terms of with your lips, with the way that you speak, with the way that you live. Just live your life in entire conformity to the way that God 
is inviting you to live. Be like Peter on the water. Keep your eyes on Jesus and just say, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other towards Jesus, and I'm going to trust that he's going to walk me through this. I think that's what the scripture would want to say. That fear is a part of the human condition. There's no guilt in fear. That fear is a part of our journey of faith. It's an invitation from Jesus to move towards him in meaningful ways. And that the way that we do that is just to keep our eyes on him and to, to fight fear with the fear of the Lord by keeping moving towards him. It's exciting for me this morning to share this on a baptism morning because my daughter is one of the nine people getting baptized uh, across our locations this morning. And, uh, but what we're celebrating, and she tells a little bit of this story about her fear and so on. Um, but what we're celebrating with these nine stories, these nine people this morning, are people who have said, listen, I'm drawing a line in the sand Whether or not it has to do with fear, I'm drawing a line in the sand and from this point on, my life is going to be about conforming everything about my experience to the person of Jesus. I'm just going to walk in the way that he wants me to go and I promise you, down that path, even though we may fear, there's nothing to truly be afraid of. Let's watch these stories and celebrate with these nine people this morning.